you're a visionary, you need an integrator. If you have the big ideas and you're not good with details, you need somebody that's good with numbers and details. If you're all good with numbers and details, but nobody has vision, you're not going to get very far. You need a balance. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Surgeon Syndicate. Our show today is sponsored by Fortress Capital, a private equity company that I founded to help physicians build passive income through commercial real estate. Being a physician is a high stress job and building passive income streams is key to not feeling trapped in that job. All right. We're here today with Ken Name. Did I say that right, Ken? Name. Name. All right. Sorry about that. No worries. All right. So, Ken, give us an introduction. My name is Ken Naim. I've done a lot of things. I started off as a pharmacist a long, long time ago, about 27 years ago. And I immediately realized that it wasn't for me. And after about two years, I switched over into IT and developed an IT career, first working for a startup and then going out and consulting. And I consulted up until a few months ago. All the while I was building a real estate portfolio, I started off with some multifamily up in New York, but the market wasn't right for me. So I started investing around the country, Oklahoma and Florida as well as a couple other places along the way. And I realized that the residential market was slow. You can do well in it, but you have to grow really big and it takes a long time. So I made the switch to commercial real estate about five years ago, and I haven't looked back since. That was the game changer for me. All right. Let me just step back for a second. So when you talk about started investing around the country, was that passive or active? That was active. So that for a lot of people is a big step, a real intimidating thing, the thought of running something away from where they live. So can you tell us a little bit more about how you did that? I went to a seminar back in probably 2004-ish, and a guy was advocating to invest not where you live. And I really took it to heart because if it's nearby, you're going to want to go by. You're going to want to be hands-on. And if your goal is to be a passive investor or at least as close to passive as possible, you don't want to have easy access to the property. You want to build systems to allow you to do it remotely. And as long as it's within driving distance, you're probably not going to do that. You're probably going to take the easy way out and just go there yourself. So you want to get a property manager. You want to get reliable handyman and vendors to do things for you. So you want to build the system so you don't need to be there. And that allows you to have more opportunity. And at the same time, it allows you to scale. Because how many properties can you visit when you have a full-time job or most of us that are successful, we start off with 60, 80 hour week jobs that you really don't have a lot of time. So maybe buy two, three properties tops. But if you build a system, you can buy 10, you can buy 20, you can buy as many as you want. 
So that's the idea. I keep hearing people say, work on your business, not in your business. Correct. That's a tough one for a lot of docs because really coming from a mindset and a place where you kind of are the business and stepping away to be a business owner is a difficult thought. Yeah, it's very hard. I was a consultant and I was working 80, 100 hour weeks and I still had to do my real estate on the side and make it work. Luckily, I had flexibility in time. I just didn't have a lot of it, but I was my business. If I didn't work, I didn't get paid. So it has a lot of parallels to that situation. So you want to get better and better at not having to be there. What are the key things in that system or the key people to get started being able to buy something remotely? Well, the first thing you need is a good broker, okay, in my opinion. A good way to find deals. Somebody that's going to do 90% of the pre-screening work on deals. Because if you have to spend hundreds of hours to find a deal and you only have 5, 10 hours a week to spend on real estate, it's going to take you a long, long time to find deals. So broker is number one. Okay, You want them getting rid of all the trash for you and only sending you good potential deals. And then you do your underwriting and you verify that they are correct and that they are good. And ideally, you have a market already picked out, market or markets for that. Next step is a good property manager. Okay, If you don't want to be managing it yourself, you need a good property manager. And I say that in quotes because most property managers, no offense to anybody listening as a property manager, are awful. Okay. And they are awful at the smaller scales. If you're going to buy a two, $300,000 suburban home in the Midwest somewhere and give it to a property manager, they're going to charge you relatively a lot. And they're going to do the minimum possible because you're relatively meaningless to their bottom line. They're making a thousand, two thousand dollars off of you a year. They're not going to do a ton of work for it. But if you can get to the bigger size of 10, 20, 30 units on a single location, if you can do a commercial property, a strip mall, a office building, something on the slightly larger end where their fees amounts to the tens of thousands of dollars a year, you're going to get to the top of their queue and they're going to make sure that they're taking care of your property better. You get access to better quality property managers. So in the beginning, it's recommended to scale up so you get good quality people. Okay. That's another interesting one from a doctor's standpoint, because you get used to this idea that you're making all the money. And when you hire somebody, it feels like you're giving money away. But the reality is, is you're hiring people who get paid to make you more money than you're paying them. 50 years ago, at a doctor's practice, there was a doctor, probably his wife was the entire office staff. And that was it. Okay. I go into a doctor's office for every physician that's there. There's at least, I don't know, 10, 12 staff. There's nurses, there's uh, hematologists, there's uh, back-end people, there's billing people. You're basically outsourcing lower-level tasks than yours to lower-paid individuals, okay? You're not having doctors do everything like they used to before, and you shouldn't do that in your real estate. You shouldn't be the plumber, the electrician. You shouldn't be the garbage man, the painter, 
you shouldn't be doing any of these items yourself, regardless of how much you do. So the key skills that it's really not the management of it. It's finding people who do the renting it. They do the collecting the bills. They get things fixed. And then you're finding somebody to bring you deals and sort through them. And so the key skill is really the understanding what's a good deal and how to buy it. How to buy it, how to hire the right people, how to manage managers. Just because you have a property manager doesn't mean you're completely hands off. You need to be meeting with them, depending on the property, somewhere between weekly to monthly. Okay. And it might just be a one hour call. And it depends how big the property is. But at least once a month, you want to know what's going on. How are the financials doing? What's going on? What's wrong with the property? What will need to get fixed? What kind of emergencies happen? So you need to have at least a one hour call scheduled every month. And again, if you have a single $300,000 property, they're not going to spend an hour with you every month. It's just not going to happen. But you have a decent size portfolio with them, they're going to spend the time. And you want that one-on-one with the property manager. You don't want it just to be emailed or text message. You want to actually talk to them or Zoom with them every month. So the idea is so somebody's coming into this and they're newer and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't buy a $5 million property. So that scaling up is really where we start to turn and look for investors and not doing it all by yourself. You either want partners or you want investors. And it just really depends on how active you want to be versus how passive you want to be. Okay. If you want to be doing the work and managing the managers and managing the vendors and managing the books and the taxes and all of that, then you want more investors. Okay. If you want to be splitting the load with other people where, okay, you do this and I do that, that's where you do a JV or joint venture and you get partners. I've heard from people a lot of time when you start looking for partners, people are drawn to people who see the world the same way and they end up often partnering with people just like themselves in the beginning. And then you get the rub that you all want to do the same stuff. Seem like it's more important to finding partners that complement you rather than do the same thing. Yes. If you're a visionary, you need an integrator. Okay. If you have the big ideas and you're not good with details, you need somebody that's good with numbers and details. Okay. If you're all good with numbers and details, but nobody has vision, you're not going to get very far. Okay. You need a balance. If you're good at talking to people, but you're not good with numbers, you either have to partner with that person or you need to hire that person. So, and it could be either or. It doesn't have to be, oh, you have to partner with them. You could hire them. Okay. So you started out in multifamily. And we talk a lot on this show beyond multifamily or sorry, I stole that name, non-multifamily commercial because there are things you can do. So tell me a little bit about your journey out of multifamily and into commercial. I didn't do the typical path of a real estate investor because I started off in multifamily instead of single family and I went to single family. And that's just because I started off in New York City. And New York City is a very bad market for cash flow properties. It's more of an appreciation market. 
And the properties over there, when you rent them out, the only ones that I could find, at least this 25 years ago, were low income. And the system in New York is designed to be super, super tenant friendly. And they really screw over the landlords. They think every landlord is this giant fund that owns millions of apartments and is worth billions of dollars. They don't realize that it could be a guy with a net worth of $50,000 and you're trying to make something of yourself. So they treat you the same way as some evil landlord. And it was just so bad of an experience that instead of just getting out of New York, I got out of multifamily as well. And I can tell you horror stories, but we don't have enough time for all of them. Uh, So I went into A-class neighborhoods with A-class school districts and single-family homes. And with a really long-term vision, pay down the mortgage over 15, 30 years, have it rented out. and But you have the same problems at the A-class that you do at the B and C-class. Maybe not as much of it. But every once in a while, you'll get an awful tenant that will destroy your property. And all the money that you made in the last year or two just disappears. So even profits that you realize are not still yours until the tenant moves out and you see how much damage they've done to the place. And that really frustrated me. And for several years, I just hung on, just collecting rents, not growing the portfolio, not doing anything. And then I started to realize as I paid down the properties, my return on equity was nothing. It was 3%, 4%, 5% on certain properties. And I go, why am I working this hard and taking all these risks for 3 4 5%? It's just not worth it. Throw it in the stock market, you'll get 8 9 10% if you're lucky but better than three, four, 5%. So in real estate, if you're not making at least 15, 20%, it is not worth it. Just invest in somebody else's real estate fund and just be completely passive. If you're gonna be active, you need to make at least 18, 20% in my opinion, to be worth the time and effort. Yeah. So then you moved on to non-multifamily commercial stuff. What was your first step out of the residential market? I was looking for a deal. I was looking for some multifamily. I was looking for different things. And the first great deal that I came across was a 40,000 square foot industrial warehouse in Sebastian, Florida. Okay. It was about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes from my home. And it was dilapidated and it was in really bad shape, tons and tons of garbage. And I don't use that figuratively. I mean that literally tons of trash inside the warehouse, outside the warehouse. 40,000 square feet is a really big space. If you can imagine it, take 22,000 square foot home and figure that they're all full of trash. Not to mention a 10 acre lot that was full of trash, but The bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity can be. So I went there and I just saw potential. It was about a 45-minute drive from the Space Coast, which is where NASA and similar companies uh, that uh, work with NASA are are headquartered. And SpaceX has operations there. I thought it would be a great location for some kind of space-related 
manufacturing facility if I could get it cleaned up and presentable. So how did that work out? That sounds like it's a big project. It took me about 13 months, probably should have taken about nine months, but I had some trouble with some vendors, getting vendors to give me quotes. So it just dragged on a little bit. And I had one buyer that wasn't serious that tied up the property for 45 days when I went to sell it. So it just dragged on a little bit, but it took 13 months and we made 70% cash on cash return in 13 months, which I compared to the three, 4% that I was getting before was huge. And I did manage that project by myself because it was essentially a really big flip, essentially. So you need to be hands-on, you need to meet vendors. And I probably went out there maybe 15, 20 times for a half a day and something like that. And where the money I earned per hour of effort was ridiculous. And once I did that, I was completely hooked on it. And even though I sold it for 2.8 million at the end, I got offers after I was in contract all the way up to 3.1. So we could have made even more money on it. That's probably hard to go from 70% back to three. Yeah. Even if I have to wait six months for the next deal, which is what it took me approximately until I found the next deal. That's six months of earning whatever the banks pay at the time, maybe it was less than 1%, is still worth it. Six months of earning nothing, averaged out with the 70% return is still way better than three, four, 10, 12, 20%. That's incredible. So then you say you're also doing some land deals now. Yeah, I'm relatively asset class agnostic. I look for where the deals are. So I'm not 100% against multifamily, although it's at the bottom of my list. But if somebody gave me a great deal on it, I might look at it. But it's just so expensive right now that there are almost no great deals in multifamily. Right now, I'm finding a lot of great deals in land. So we buy land that's either under entitled or under zoned, either it's agricultural or maybe it's residential, one family, two family, four family, and we can get it up zoned to either a higher density or to a higher class going from residential to commercial or from commercial to industrial. And we increase the zoning and we get it to the point where it's almost shovel ready for the builder. And builders or developers will take it from there. And they like to pay a premium for it because it takes out the risk and it takes out the time frame from their deal. Builders are very focused on getting plans and building to plan. They don't like risk. They don't like chance. They don't like, oh, well, what happens if the county doesn't approve this? Or what if the zoning comes out differently? They just want something that's ready to build because they're builders. So this was something that was completely new to me that I always thought people bought land hoping that it was close to town and somebody would come along and want to make something more out of it and that a developer did the whole thing. But to find out, That it's not always that way, that there can be somebody who takes it each step along the way and that a piece of land that's zoned residential or agricultural is worth less than a piece of land that's zoned mixed use or commercial or industrial. And just by making that shift, you've added value and could turn and sell it for more. Exactly. And some really big firms 
will do everything in house. They will buy 100 acres, 200 acres, get it rezoned. The staff and the money to wait years, potentially, depending what part of the country it is, to rezone it and go through all the necessary hoops for it. But even other national home builders, they want just ready to go. And it also affects the math on some deals. Even if all the numbers come out the same, the fact that they have to hold it a year longer to get it entitled, that's one year extra that reduces their ROI at the end or their IRR at the end. Because if you make $5 million on a deal over three years, that's $5 million divided by three. But if you make $4 million on a deal instead over two years, that's $2 million per year. So your ROI number actually goes up by holding it a shorter period of time, even though you made less money overall because your cash outlay came out much later. So a lot of places that are focused on the highest percent returns, they don't mind making a little bit less money as long as their percent returns are much higher. So it really depends on what their focus is. Do they just want to build? Do they want to make the most cash possible? Do they want to make the highest ROI possible on a deal? So that where they're making less would be that they're buying it from you for more because you've moved it further down the road. But they're saying, we're builders. We just want to focus on building. So they buy it and everything's approved and they can break ground the next day and build something and just be ready to go straight out of the gate. And a lot of times what you're making in the land development as a percentage for the builder is almost negligible too. Because if they're building a $100 million as worth of construction, okay, and they're going to make $20 million profit on there. Okay, the fact that they paid you one or two million more than if they held it for another year and did it themselves, that one or two million is almost meaningless on their side. But that extra year of holding it would reduce their returns by approximately a third because of the length of hold for the deal. So it just makes a lot more sense for them to buy it ready to go. And it reduces their risk at the same time. Thank you, Ken, for that great information on land deals. This is an incredible part of commercial real estate that can have exceptional returns and doesn't have to be as risky as often perceived. Please join us for the second half of our conversation with Ken, where we'll dig further into de-risking deals, communicating with investors and sponsors and how to start investing in commercial deals beyond residential. So join us next time. Thanks for being here. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you got value from this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional, and you can help them by sharing this content today. I'd also love to serve you better, so I wanted to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you take a moment and leave an honest written review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help you. Schedule a call and we can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.